Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Tuesday, August the 15th, 2023. It is currently 3.34 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, this is part two of what is turning out to be kind of a crazy trip. I know I use that analogy a lot, but but with this podcast, we never really know exactly where we're going. We kind of just hop in the car and start driving. And, and, and whoever, I sometimes I have no idea where we're going to end up, but I hope you always find it to be fun and interesting. Now, I'm going to set this up again because this really became a major theme in part one of this. All right. So this is part two. You need to go back and listen to part one for the, for a full context, but I just want to at least get this concept out to everyone. It is 2023. Whether you want to acknowledge it, whether you want to admit it, or whether you even want to agree with it, there is a reality that Christian Christians, pastors, and churches need to understand. In 2023, there are a lot of people in the world who still have lots of questions and interest in theological things, theological questions, biblical questions, questions about Jesus, the Bible, theology, doctrine. There's still interest there. It may not feel like it. They, and, and, and this is very, very important. It may not feel like it. You may not see it, but it is true. They still have interest in it, but guess where they're not going? They're not going to your church. Guess who they're not calling to get their information? They're not calling your church. They're not calling you. They're not visiting your church. Guess where they, another thing they're probably not doing. They're not searching out your church website. They're probably not searching out your church Facebook page. No, you know where they're searching? They're searching for theological, biblical, and spiritual information on, I know it's going to be a shock, TikTok, YouTube, podcasting apps. That's where they're looking. And guess where they're, what they're finding? They're finding a lot of different crazy ideas that may not be anywhere close to in, lo- in line with historical biblical Christianity. And in many cases, they go beyond just podcasting apps. They go beyond just TikTok. They're in, they're on the dark corners of the internet, picking up all kinds of crazy ideas. And we have a tendency sometimes in the church, sometimes within Christianity, just to go, that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Who would believe that nonsense? sense and, you know, and just think that they're going to come to your church or going to knock on the door or call you. That's not the way it works. They're looking somewhere else. So we as Christians, as those of us who have churches, who, who hold a historical biblical Christianity, we've got to use the technology available to us and get our content on every platform under the sun. Now, not everyone is good at making TikToks. There are some who are. I don't know how you do five minute, 10 minute TikToks. I don't know how you do that. I, I would, I would lose my mind even trying, trying to produce that. Okay. I may, maybe I could do something, but then, then you're using video. I don't, I, but there, that's the world that I'm not yet found a way to make an impact on, but we put our content on every podcasting app on earth. We are on YouTube, a Pandora, Deezer, Apple podcast, Google podcast. If there's a podcasting app out there, Trust me, we are there. We broadcast live using the Spreaker platform, using uh, Sermons uh, Sermons 2.0, the Church One app. Uh, We're at theologycentral.net. Wherever we can get our content, we get our content so that people can listen to us live or find our content after we are done. Because you have to, because people are out there looking for answers and they're not gonna look for it in the traditional way. Some churches still think, well, we'll create a church website. Maybe we'll post our sermons on our church website. Maybe we'll be, you know, maybe we'll be on Sermon Audio. And they, they don't really, they don't expand their reach beyond that. You got to get to the people because they're out there listening and looking for a lot of crazy things. Now, with that in mind, that is why we are taking kind of a bizarre trip here. We're looking at a 
program that's supposed to be an apologetics program. And guess who they have to talk about eschatology on their program? It's a an apologetics program talking about eschatology. And who do they bring on? Alex Jones. I am not kidding. I am not joking. It's almost, it, 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 you would think it's a, it's, it's a parody. You would think it's an SNL skit. Hey, who do we want to talk about a theological issue like uh, eschatology? Let's bring in Alex Jones. So we reviewed, uh, really, so this is what happened on Sunday's broadcast. Alex Jones, on Sundays, if you don't know, he does two hours of live broadcasting. The Alex has not really been in the mood to really talk behind the microphone. He's been mad. He's been angry. He's been upset. He doesn't want to talk. <laughs> so he's been just kind of throwing. It's been just a, a lot of weird mix of things he's throwing in. So the first half of Sunday's broadcast is just all of these other little like, you know, it's these little clips and segments that have been made basically about, you know, COVID being a conspiracy and all of that. And then all of a sudden in the middle... He switches over to a, 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 he was on an apologetics program talking about eschatology. So he started playing that. We reviewed that part of it. Now in hour two on Sunday, he continues it. Now, here's the only issue with trying to do this. One, you have to remember, I don't listen to this stuff live. Two, it's Alex Jones. So I'm just giving you fair warning again. Alex Jones is known for one minute talking about Jesus, one minute talking about the blood of Jesus, one minute talking about the Holy Spirit, and the next minute going on a full-blown rant where he's yelling and cussing and acting like he's demon-possessed, okay? So you do have to be prepared for that. So if you could be possibly offended with some kind of language that you may not find a suitable, by all means, then don't listen. I'm giving you full warning and a heads up. He did pretty good in hour one. He did, he did really good in the first thing that we reviewed. But I, but I never, <laughs> I always have to hold my breath because I never know. But I still think it's important to listen to because it's telling you what's going, you see, you're going to think, well, who would listen to Alex Jones talk about eschatology? You'll be surprised. <laughs> well, who would listen to that? You would be surprised because they, I hate to say this. There's many out there. They don't no longer trust the institutional church. They don't like, they don't care. They don't see it's authoritative. They don't care if you got 15 degrees in theology. They don't care. And so Alex Jones comes across and their mind much more genuine. He's like, yeah, I was hung over. Yeah, I drink. Yeah, I cuss. Yeah, I've been married. I think he's been married multiple times. I, all the issues he's gone through. He, and, and they're like, well, he's more real. He's more genuine than that fake, pious garbage the church has given me. So they'll be drawn more to that. You may not like it, but it's true. So we got to hear what's going on. Now, as far as the eschatology they talked about in the first part that we reviewed, there wasn't a lot there. Alex Jones took the opportunity to talk about biblical eschatology and really talk more about himself. If you really break it down, they did mention a little bit of, you know, that according to, uh, they, they just may, we don't know exactly the origin of the statistic, but that the Bible speaks um, about the second coming eight times more than it speaks about the first coming. Now, I would argue probably some of those scriptures that are being attributed to the second coming actually are pointing to 70 AD and not the second coming, but that's a whole different argument. They did talk about the Valley of Dry Bones and Ezekiel being the regathering of Israel, which I do agree there, uh, that that has never been truly fulfilled. Okay, I, I got no problem with that. Uh, clearly, they're coming at it from a much more, uh, a very literal reading of Revelation to at least some level. Um a more, I guarantee dispensationalism has greatly influenced this. I, I don't, I think, I don't know if they go with a pre-mill position or not. Um, in fact, we ended with Alex kind of somehow speaking of the negative impact of rapture theology because he thinks it makes people lazy and they don't want to get involved. So he, he, he seems to be criticizing it. Not that he, full-blown rejected it, but at least he made some criticisms of it. They've definitely criticized the church. But with all of that said, we got to finish this. Now, it is their radio program, and they do so many commercials. So 
Typically what I do when I review something that has a radio program that has commercials, we'll just review a segment and then the next time we'll start after the commercials. Uh, but they do so many. So what? please forgive me if we just kind of turn the volume down, let their commercials play and then bring the volume back up. We may do that at least one time. I really would like to finish this entire thing is what I would like to do. But um, I know that there's no way we're going to finish this in one episode. So we're going to go as far as we can, as fast as we can. And hopefully it's beneficial. So we're going to enter into the weird world where Alex Jones is on an apologetics program talking about eschatology. I mean, like, who can make this up? Who can make, I mean, that just seems insane to me, but okay. All right. Are you ready? Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Just think you, you get this for free. (laughs) And I know what you're saying. Yeah, because nobody else in their right mind would cover this. I know just, but, but be warned again, it's Alex Jones. So. And I know some of you are like, you should listen to it first. No, because then all of my review and critique would be rehearsed. And I hate that. I like doing it in real time with you. So sit back, buckle in, strap in. We launch into the unknown. Here we go. Judges the heart. Christ only told the Pharisees up there praying in public. He said, no, you need to pray in private. It's about you and God. And I just want to be clear with people. This isn't about even the messengers here. The devil is 100% real. The operating system of the of the New World Order, the UN, is Luciferianism. They've got a Lucius Lucifer Trust that runs the prayer chapel at, at, in, in New York at the UN. I've had these people try to recruit me. And some of it wasn't just in high school or then later when I was in Hollywood some. It, it, it's happened since then where very well-known household names said, hey, we want you to go to this event in Reykjavik or this event in Switzerland, and, and, and it's new AG, but we're, Lucifer's not really bad. We're going to call in Lucifer to fix the problems. So, I mean, I, I start thinking about how much of this we – Bohemian Grove. I sneak in there. I hear there's this ritual. They're doing a ritual to the devil to do under all these Canaanite names. It's like Ghostbusters or something, but for real. And I look over, and the old men are 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 more intense than when I was in Holy Roller churches. Yeah. Because you know, Holy Roller churches, great people are like, oh, we love you, Lord. These people are like, ah. I mean, this is real. All I'm telling people is, I don't know if yeah. you've experienced stuff like this, but I'm telling you, if you've seen the stuff I've seen, and I know God put me in those places to see that, yeah. so I can now witness this to people, you would know that God is real. And I just keep hammering that and and I, but what you said is critical there's a mix the whole rapture thing okay there's all this scary stuff coming and the bible's being fulfilled so far because people can see it starting to be fulfilled in the 70s and 80s yeah. technology so people go oh my gosh this really is happening and then people go oh but we're going to be raptured so let's just go to sleep and stop looking at it yeah. and, and so it's a mix half the folks or whatever percentage it is a certain percentage are scared and don't really want to be bothered with it because it is awesome. It is scary. It, it is huge. It's 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 eternal. It's the big decision forever. And the other ones are just like, hey, we're gonna get raptured. It's gonna be fine. But if you really look at the Bible, I'm not gonna debate post, you know, uh, uh, mid no. uh, or you know, you know, pre. The issue is right there. We know there's a big awakening that of Christians later that turn against the Antichrist, and then he starts killing everybody. So, so we know there's going to be a group that's awake before, a group that doesn't, a huge awakening during it. And, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you say it more than I do. No, no, you're fine. And then the Antichrist is just slaughtering people, and it, you know, once he goes from nice guy to mean guy, and we're going to have the biggest revival ever seen in the middle of this. It's just So any way you slice it, folks, it's real, it's happening, and people better get serious. Yeah. I'm- okay, now... He doesn't want to get, Alex doesn't want to debate the specifics. And I, you know what? I understand why Alex doesn't want to debate the specifics because he probably doesn't know the specifics that well. And it's more beneficial to Alex's perspective. I mean, Alex, I mean, look, I don't, I mean, I know anytime I say anything critical about Alex Jones, you get emails and be like, how dare you? He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he knows the truth. Okay. It, that's just, it just blows my mind that that's ever happened. But Alex I've stated it before, for him, he grew up around this kind of, I mean, he grew up in in Texas, like I grew up in Texas. We didn't grow up too far from one another in that sense, right? Both in in, in Texas, I'm in West Texas, he was in the Dallas area, then the Austin area, but he grew up in a time where no matter, even near Austin was still much more Texas than it is today, right? And that, 
just growing up with that kind of a, hey, uh, uh, you know, Jesus, the Bible. Now, he he definitely grew up with kind of a semi-Pelagian, free, libertarian, free will, Ar- Arminian type, type of view, definitely, which is very common in this area. But then definitely grew up about the Antichrist, the rapture, the mark of the beast, 666. He grew up with all of those kind of concepts. And then as he got into the more conspiratorial world, which was going to, you know, define his life and to become his career, in many ways, all of that biblical, these biblical concepts serve more simply as spiritual justification, a spiritual authority for this. In other words, he can throw out any crazy conspiratorial theory and then just try to grab something from the Bible, grab something from biblical prophecy. And he does this all the time. He'll just gra- grab a concept and, and try to attach it to his conspiratorial theory. Now, for the average person, they hear that and go, well, see, Alex Jones believes the Bible. Alex Jones is using the Bible. In many cases, it's a complete annihilation of anything with scripture. So for him, keeping his theology more vague, I don't care if it's post, mid, pre, I don't care. I just know, oh, there's this really, there's this like, you know, powerful antichrist who's going to control the world. Okay, that works for him, his whole idea about the new world order and the elite taking, okay, that fits with that. They're going to do all of these horrible things. There's going to be surveillance. Okay, then he can talk about how the, the government wants to monitor you. He, he can make it all fit together. You don't want to get too specific because if he gets too specific, then well, then he can't just use anything and everything he wants. It's to his, it, it, it's advantageous to him to keep it vague because he can just bring any part over. Hey, see, this is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. See, this is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And whether it is or isn't, and he can always say that it is because he's like, he'll say, I'm not going to debate all of that. I'm not going to get into all of that. Yeah, because then you can use all of it for justification for the most outlandish conspiratorial theories that he wants to put forth. And it comes across as somehow being biblical. And then people who are not going to go to a church or talk to pastors or, or they're, they're, they're searching for spiritual information on the dark recess, you know, the dark abyss of the internet, that they'll, they'll, they'll somehow, their eschatology will start being shaped more by how Alex uses it than really the study of it. And it's, it's very important to see that. And under, you say, you may say it's dumb, but start talking to people who are, are trafficking in this stuff. They don't see it as dumb. They see it as, oh, who Alex is, Alex is right because he's using scripture. And remember, Alex in part one said God started talking to him. So now he's got God on his side as well. So, you know, how do you, how do you critique that if God showed him or if God told him, which is why I reject all of that in Scripture alone. But let's see where else he goes with all of this. And you'll also note that even though this is a story, this is supposed to be a discussion about eschatology, Alex is the center of it over and over and over and over and over and over and over, which is typical Alex Jones. I mean, I've been listening to him for over 20 years, at least keeping up with what's going on. And he's always the center of the story. So it's a, it's, this is supposed to be a discussion about eschatology. It's really a story about, as, about Alex Jones, if you really, really break it down. But let's see if they pivot at some point and get more into subjects related to eschatology and not so much about the life of Alex Jones and all of the crazy things that's happened to him. All right, let's see. Absolutely. So let me let me just lay this out for you, and we're not going to debate it. I may ask Alex kind of where he falls down on this stuff. I, I really don't know. It's very complex. I just know that God's real and the devil's. It's real. about to get it's about to get real messy, yeah. one way or the other. Right. So look, a lot of people believe in what's called a rapture, and if you're wondering what that is, that's a, a topic that's alluded to in Scripture. I believe it's First Thessalonians four that mentions being caught up to heaven, kind of in the twinkling of an eye. And there's a word that's used there, harpazo, right? And that's that's where they talk about this rapture, like this instantaneous, like catching up to be with God. And then at some point, there is a period of seven years that's called either the time of Jacob's trouble, I think, in Jeremiah or um, the tribulation, right? A lot of people look at the tribulation and are like, oh, it's a seven-year period, sort of. The entire tribulation is this seven-year period. But really, the, the really scary thing, Alex, is that the Antichrist, when he comes to power, is accepted with open arms. This person doesn't come in as a conquering kind of uh, uh, a dictator. He, he doesn't show in, up in red pajamas. Right, exactly. Right. He doesn't come in and say, you know, you have to follow me. People willingly do that. And before COVID-19 hit, 
most of you out there right now probably thought like there's no way the world would just kind of jump in lockstep on something like this and kind of give up their freedoms willingly and shut down the entire world economy and not ask really important questions there's no way big tech would like completely censor genuine doctors asking questions about this stuff there's no way that would all happen everybody's eyes got opened a little bit on how quickly we fall apart how quickly we are willing in times of trouble to welcome in somebody who may not have our best interest at heart. To accept a great delusion, which exactly. the Bible says it, 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 the, the delusion was so strong it could even deceive the elect. What's the exact exactly. quote? That's exactly what it is. You nailed it. Sometimes you just got to believe in yourself, Alex. I mean, it's, I mean I've read this stuff a hundred times, but you're trying to get the quote exactly right. No, no. I, so I always loosely quote this thing. Like, I've got some scripture written down just to make sure that I get it accurate. But if you hear us talk about it, it's a loose quote. Acts 17.11 was what I would always point you to. Don't believe Alex. Tehebo T Club's original. Okay, so they already go to their first commercial. We're going to turn this down. Now, you can tell really kind of where the eschatology they're going with. or They're going with the kind of the standard you know, almost a pre-trib dispensational kind of view, right? Rapture, seven-year uh, tribulation, the Antichrist comes on power, or comes to power, he's all friendly, then in the middle of it, the middle of the seven years, three and a half years in, then he reveals his true colors, there's persecution, craziness, all right. Christ comes back, destroys all of his enemies, sets up a millennial kingdom where he rules and reigns in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That That's a basic system that is very, very prominent. And, you know, those who reform, who are more amillennial, will obviously criticize it. They tend to look down upon it, say it's not very sophisticated. It's not, And then they, then the others will say, you because you don't inter- interpret scripture rightly. Obviously, there's much disagreement here. So, okay, I, I don't know where they're going to take this. I'm going to go ahead and hit play. You're going to hear it maybe in the background. Okay, we'll just keep it low because I, I don't want to stop already. I don't want to stop already. I, I, I told you that they they're, they're at, they have so many commercials right now. Part of the reason they have so many commercials because Alex Jones has been sued for a billion dollars and lost the, the court case with the, the families of Sandy Hook uh, because you know he was running around claiming that you know the Sandy Hook massacre didn't really happen. It was crisis actors, and well, he lost. And if you listen to the depositions, he didn't have any proof for all of those claims that he made. Uh, yeah, he talks big on the air. He didn't. He didn't talk so big when he was being interviewed by the lawyers under oath. So. Um, yeah, and a lot of people who still try to email me about that nonsense, hey, if you're so big and bad, you, you make those claims. And when you go to court, let's see how – if you can prove it. Yeah, It's easy to make – talk all your game in an email or on social media. It's another thing when you're standing in court under oath. Okay, hang on. Are, we, are, are they going right back in? Hang on. We're going to see. They can use copyright music. I can't. Are they going to go right back in? Here we go. Hang on, hang on. Come on, come on. The really scary thing, Alex, is that the Antichrist, when he comes to power, is accepted with open arms. This person doesn't come in as a conquering kind of uh, uh, a dictator. He, he doesn't show in, up in red pajamas. Right, exactly. Right. He doesn't come in and say, you know, you have to follow me. People willingly do that. And before COVID-19 hit... Most of you out there right now probably thought, like, there's no way the world would just kind of jump in lockstep on something like this. And- if you're wondering why they keep backing it up a little bit, they keep backing it up a little bit because they have an hour to fill. So they got an hour, they got an hour of broadcasting time to fill and they got their commercial. So they've mapped it out going, we, we got to keep backing this up so we can get to an hour because Alex... <laughs> I think it started on Thursday. I think it was Thursday broadcast. He basically came in like, I am so mad. I am so angry. I cannot do this. I cannot talk. I'm going to lose my mind because he's up because I think he's having lots of financial issues because, you know, he's been sued for a billion dollars. So they've been just airing all these different things. And so I think this is the second hour. And obviously, Alex may not even be in studio at the time. And uh, while they're filling up broadcast time. So they keep backing it up. That's them. That's not me. But it's okay if we hear it a little bit. It'll flow. Add context and flow. Hopefully, we get a big section of time here before they go to another commercial break. I'm hoping because they're throwing in these commercials like crazy, like boom, 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 because uh, well, they're trying to sell their uh, supplements and their and their uh, product because you know they're. 
they gotta they gotta bring it out. I mean, <laughs> they gotta they gotta figure out their financial situation. All right, here we go. Kind of give up their freedoms willingly and shut down the entire world economy and not ask really important questions. There's no way big tech would like completely censor genuine doctors asking questions about this stuff. There's no way that would all happen. Everybody's eyes got opened a little bit on how quickly we fall apart, how quickly we are willing in times of trouble to welcome in somebody who may not have our best interest at heart. To accept a great delusion, which the Bible says the delusion was so strong it could even deceive the elect. What's the exact quote? That's exactly what it is. You nailed it. Sometimes you just got to believe in yourself, Alex. I mean, it's, I mean, I've read this stuff a hundred times, but you're trying to get the quote exactly right. No, no. I, so I always loosely quote this thing. Like, I've got some scripture written down just to make sure that I get it accurate. But if you hear us talk about it, it's a loose quote. Acts 17.11 is what I would always point you to. Don't believe Alex. Don't believe Gerald. Go and study scripture and see if it is true. Right? That is that is what Paul. I, that everybody should do that. One of my favorite teachers, Chuck Missler, always talked about that. So do that and make sure you do it. Right? All right. So this is seven years. Okay, before he continues on, let me read Acts 17, 11 to you. You probably know it. You've heard it quoted. You probably have used it. I Sometimes it drives me mad because we, we can get into a long—if anyone's been listening to me for a long time, you know what I'm getting ready to say. It makes everyone mad. Christians get ticked off at me. But it's just a reality that I'm tired of playing games pretending that it doesn't exist. It just exists. Here we go. Acts 17, 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica and that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Now, I know it sounds so wonderful and spiritual. Okay, you know, you, you're out there, you're sitting in the pew, and it's your responsibility that you ser- you hear the teaching and then you search the scriptures and you determine if these things are so. Now, it sounds good, but the world it creates, and nobody ever thinks about the unintended consequences here. First, is it really the scriptures that are determining whether these things are so. For, that's the first question. Is it really the scriptures determining it? I argue it's not. It's the individual. Because guess what? You're sitting there looking at the scriptures and you're like, no, pastor, you're wrong. Those things are not so. The pastor turns around like, no, I searched the scriptures. These things are so. You're wrong. No, pastor, you're wrong. I'm leaving. I'm going to another church. They go to another church. Then they search. No, pastor, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. And then you listen to someone online. I searched the scriptures. You're wrong. No, you're wrong. Everyone thinks they're searching the scriptures and everyone thinks that they are right. And not only do they think they're right, they think it's dogmatic and applicable to everyone else. So is the scriptures really the authority or is it the people? I will argue that inadvertently, I'm not saying we do it on purpose. We ultimately are the authority. It's our interpretation that's the authority, not the scripture, because it's almost impossible to get ourselves out of the way and really look at the scriptures for what they're actually saying. And I think that 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 should bother you and it bothers me. Look, they're giving a system of eschatology. There's some people right now who will hear to be like, no, that's not true. It, it, first of all, it's not Israel. It's the church. The church replaced Israel. There's no future promises for the nation of Israel. Those promises go to the church. And that shouldn't be interpreted literal. And that shouldn't be interpreted literal. And then there are others going, no, no, no. God is not done with Israel. He will keep his promises and fulfill those promises literally. And everyone will say, no, the scriptures say. You can have two people debating baptism. Someone will say, no, the scriptures are clear. You're supposed to take a baby at eight days old and put water on it to put the mark of the new covenant on it. And then that baby becomes a part of the visible body of Christ. It becomes a member of the body of Christ. Others were like, what are you talking about? The Bible calls for faith before baptism. It's believer's baptism. It's not for babies. They must exercise faith. And it, and it is a symbolic act of what God has already done inside of them. Others will say, no, 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 no. You have to baptize the baby and it's regenerative. It washes away sin and they're now saved. Everyone will say the scriptures are clear. So I think the first issue is it's really us. It's really us that does so. Secondly, and we have to just be willing to acknowledge everyone 
has so many different interpretations that how do you really know what you think the scriptures say or what they say when someone else thinks that what they think the scriptures say or what they actually say? Acts 17.11 is great to quote. And I and in theory, I believe we should obviously search the scriptures. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves, are we really searching the scriptures? Or are we really just inserting ourselves as the authority upon the scriptures? Are, is it, are we standing above the scriptures or are the scriptures above us? We all want to claim that we don't stand above the scriptures. We stand below them. But guess what? Over and over and over. Us, us. And you know, you know there has to be some truth to what I'm saying. How many di- different denominations? Just look at what Christians can't even agree on. We can't agree on baptism. We can't agree on Lord's Supper. We can't even agree on the structure of the church. We don't even agree on salvation. Even though you may say we do, you break it down, we don't. So it's good to say, hey, everyone, don't listen to us. Search the scriptures. Yeah, and if I search the scriptures and say you're wrong, you're going to tell me I didn't search the scriptures right. (laughs) So does it really matter if I search the scriptures? Because, and then is it every man doing what is right in their own eyes? It's it's disturbing. It's disturbing. But I I do love the the idea of Acts 17.11. Now, he's going to go back and talk about this rapture idea. And let's see, are they going to be pro-rapture or anti-rapture? Are they going to be pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? What are they going to be? What are they going to be? Are they going to be, you know they're not going to be amillennialists and you know they're not going to be preterists. We can mark those out. We know they're not going to be amill and we know we're not going to be preterists. We know they draw a distinction between uh, Israel and the church. We know that definitively. We can already tell that. So, and and clearly they're not a preterist in in any way, shape or form. So let's see where they go. Three and a half really good years. Then things switch and three and a half really bad years. And that's what we talk about. That's the tribulation, that three and a half years. So this seven year period ends. Then there's a millennial kingdom, which is a thousand year rule of Christ on earth, New Jerusalem, the whole thing. And then at the end of that, there's what they call the white throne judgment, new heaven, new earth, right? That's the basic layout. There are other things that happen in there that I'm not going to get into right now. Blow the devil out for a little while again. He does. And I don't know why. Like at the end of the thousand years, so Satan is bound and his, his, they're, they're thrown into the pit for a thousand years. And then he lets him out for a little while. And there's, again, there's this additional battle that happens. And then there's well, free the will. Battle. It's like, okay, you've had, you've seen nothing but pure goodness for a thousand years. Now let's, you want to be, the, you know, it's almost like Adam and Eve all over again. You get to walk and talk with God essentially. Right. And now you have the opportunity again to fall away. And so there's this final battle. I don't know why. I have no idea why God does that, but. Okay, I I love that. And you know what? Sometimes the openness and the honesty and the questioning and the struggling, so many times this kind of thing happens outside the church. And it's why many look for this kind of information outside the church, because the church sometimes comes across as, well, people claim this is difficult, but it's really very easy because I'm going to give you how to understand eschatology based on, well, a systematic theology or or the team that agrees with you. With you. I like the more, I, I don't know why it happens this way, because it is bizarre. Now, others will say, well, see, that's because you should not take it so literal. It's not a literal thousand years. It's not a literal this. It's a literal... We're in the millennium now, and and Satan is bound now. Some believe that we're in the millennium now. Um, And I know you would be like, wow, this is a trash millennium if we're in it now, right? This is the worst millennial kingdom you could have ever imagined because there's death, pain, suffering, horrible things happening. Yeah, and but Satan somehow is bound. Like, what is that? I don't, yeah, like we could get into a whole discussion about that. Um, But so... I, I do like the honesty of like, I, I don't understand that either. If Christ is ruling and reigning for a thousand years, what is the whole thing at the end? What is that? Now, Alex is going to scream free will, free will, free will, because he is a big proponent of libertarian free will, a big proponent of that. To me, it demonstrates the reality of human depravity, that no matter what external things you see, you're still depraved inside. Right, but oh, but we could have a whole discussion here. Let, let, let's just see what else they have to say. 
But I understand that God is good and just, and I trust him a lot more than I trust myself to figure this out. But that's true at the end of it. So some people believe that we're in the millennium right now. And if so, a lot of pastors have said, well, if that's true, then the devil's chain is too long because he's obviously on the march. Yeah, well, there's that teaching that supposedly Titus sacked Rome, I mean, sacked Jerusalem, and that was the end of the world then. I mean, it doesn't have all the technology, the mark of the beast. I, I just really don't see that. And it's not understanding the Olivet Discourse, right? That The Olivet Discourse, and I talked to my wife about this just a little while ago. By the way, she loves you. She's a big fan. God bless her. I married up. I was talking to her about that. I've earlier. heard you say that on air. You did. <laughs> You're a handsome guy, but she's quite the lady. She's, she's fantastic. Um, in, in Luke, the Olivet Discourse, he's actually talking about, he's talking to Gentiles, right? So Luke is rent to, uh, written to Gentiles. And so this is Christians after the time of Christ leading up to 70 AD. And he's talking about this and he says, don't waste any time. When you see the armies around Jerusalem, flee the city. Don't even go back down and get your coat. Leave and get out of the city. That was the fall of, of Jerusalem in 70 AD when the city was burned. And, literally and Christ not said that. He said, before this generation passes, not one stone will be there. 38 years later. That's pretty much exactly the same time that they were wandering the desert as well before they came. In. Well, man, they're, they're talking about 70 AD. That's good. The destruction. You can hear that. Uh, obviously, um, Alex is somewhat familiar with preterism, right? Because depending on how extreme your preterism is, you can believe, hey, 70 AD really was the second coming. There's nothing more to look for. It, it all ended in 70 AD. That's an extreme preterist. More moderate preterist would maybe not go that far. He is dealing with the Olivet Discourse, and he's even acknowledging that some parts of the Olivet Discourse are related to 70 AD. That's better than some preachers do. That's better than some churches do. I've heard some churches that take the entire Olivet Discourse and make it all about the future and ignore 70, barely even mention it. So <laughs> it's kind of scary that sometimes we get maybe a better discussion about eschatology with Alex Jones than we get in some churches. That is Ooh, that can mess up my world really big. I, I may, I may have an anxiety attack right now. We pay all of this, all this money goes into maintaining buildings and having a big church and staff and a pastor. And then you get a better possible discussion about eschatology listening to a program with Alex Jones. Just try to let your brain, my brain starts melting and starts leaking out the side of my head because that should not be the case. But I'm telling you. Um, I had, I, I think it's my friend, is it my, my friend in Iowa? I think his church was doing Matthew 24 and he's like, well, they kind of barely mentioned 70 AD and everything's future, future. Didn't even bother to take the fact that, hey, some of this is about 70 AD. That's a church. <laughs> Here's Alex Jones. And Alex Jones is, is acknowledging the existence of preterism, why he rejects it and his reasons. And then this other person is like, well, talks about the Olivet Discourse and even there acknowledges some of it is about 70 AD. I mean, come on now. I've bought, I've bought materials from <laughs> ministries that ignore 70 AD when they deal with the Olivet Discourse. Come on now. This can't be happening, all right? My whole, everything. Okay, let's see. They, they got to say something that's just totally outlandish here. They got to say something that's like so over the top. Let, let's see what happens here. Into the promised land. So it's a very interesting quote. The generation had not passed, but people are like, well, wait a minute. The Olivet Discourse in Luke sounds very similar to the Olivet Discourse in Matthew. And so they get confused. Matthew is written to Jews. Matthew's whole thing was writing to the Jews. And it was talking about two different times. Jesus at one time was talking to the public during the day. And the other time he was kind of having secret briefing meetings with his disciples. At oh, now that's interesting. We may want to write this down, ladies and gentlemen. We have the, the, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew and in Luke. Now in Matthew... He's saying it's two different times and two different audiences. Okay, Matthew 24 is where you find it in Matthew. All right. Um, where is it in Luke? Uh, all of my cross-references, is it, is it Luke 22? Is it Luke 22? I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing here. I'm speculating. 
Does it happen in Luke 22? Uh, no, it cannot be Luke 22. Cannot be Luke 22. Give me one second. I'm going to look it up. I know the Matthew 24. I know, and I know the Mark. Hang on. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. Let's look at this. All right. All of it. Discourse. All of it. Discourse. All right. Hang on. It's Luke 21. Luke 21. I apologize. Luke 21. I had to look it up. All right. Luke 21. So Matthew 24, Luke 21, and it starts, and I believe verse 5, and as, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with goodly stones and gifts, he said, as for these things which you behold, the days will come, and the one, with, uh, and the end will come, in the which there shall not be left one stone upon another. So here's what we need to do. The Matthew 24... The Luke 21, these two passages, Matthew 24, Luke 21. Now, most, most commentary, well, I can't say all commentaries. Many articles written about it group these two together as the same discourse. He seems to be making an argument. These are two separate occasions. They're not the same occasion. They're not, they're for different audiences. One is for the Gentiles. One is for the Jews. Now, is Jesus speaking about the exact same thing? I, 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 I we, this, this, we got to work on this. We have to work. This is an interesting approach. I like this approach. I like at least hearing it. Once again, we're not hearing it in a church. See, now I'm not saying we can't hear this in churches. I'm just saying a lot of churches would not even bother to, to ask some of these questions. So Matthew 24, Luke 21, Matthew 24, 1. It goes, uh, some go say it goes all the way to 2546, which would then, you know, could possibly ask some more questions. And then Luke, they have 21, five to 36. All right. I want you to compare them. Just if, if you have time, compare them. Are you, are they the same discourse or are they separate situations, separate occasions, and completely separate purpose? And do we have to interpret them two separate different ways? Let's continue. At night. And so that's why there's some confusion about whether that actually already happened and we're in a millennium or that there is no millennial kingdom. That's just really some kind but of really it's, 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 it's men looking at the same mountain range from different angles. Pretty much. Yeah. You're looking at the story and you're not taking into context who he's writing to and also like very simple things that said, and, and before these things, this stuff will happen. And after these things, these things will happen. It's like, well, wait a minute. One says before and goes down this entire list. The other says after and goes down this other way. That's a different conversation, but we've kind of looped those things together and it's caused a lot of confusion. All you really need to know is there is a tribulation. There is a millennial kingdom. The Bible definitely discusses it. I don't allegorize it. I tend to take the Bible more seriously. And the more that I do that, the more that I see scripture being fulfilled. Well, it says that women will become men. Men will become women. Your exactly. children will be set up over you. It describes, I mean, it's all, it's like insane. Like none yeah. of that ever went on. Now it's it, like, when this is being written, people are reading this. This is crazy. Exactly. This never happened. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> They're like, you guys are crazy. Come on. Really? Guys becoming women. That's just crazy. There's some effeminate men, but let's not go too far. So one of the other dividing lines is, you know, when in that period of time the church is actually taken out. Is it before that seven years start? Is it at the midpoint? So before the bad time starts, is it at the very end? Because Christians don't get to be exempt from the kind of, I guess, persecution that they've experienced. Well, it says the, the, the beast will wage war against the saints and overcome them. So if you want to speak against the, because to me it says Christ comes back, the archangel bound Satan, and then the dead in Christ are raised, and then and then and then and that's the tribulation to me. To me, it happens at the at the at the end of the Battle of Armageddon. Okay. I mean, it seems to me like a ten year old could do that, but but so many Christians who believe in Christ and love God are holding on to that. I don't want to run them away. I don't want to say you're going to hell. I don't want to preach at you. Hey, if, if that's what you believe, that's fine. But then you're not going to be ready for what's already going down. Right. So. Your, your responsibility is the same as a believer or as somebody who's maybe interested in what, you know, I guess the Bible has to say about how the world is going to go. Because looking around, you're probably thinking, my goodness, things are not necessarily getting better. They're getting worse. I tend to come down on a pre-tribulation kind of viewpoint, right? And so let me explain why. Um, I don't 
if you understand what the tribulation is about, right? If you understand what those last three and a half years are, it is God's final chance for the Jews, the Jews that rejected Christ. He said, I will return to my place until they acknowledge their offense, and then I will come to them. This is God-fulfilling prophecy from Daniel. It's the 70th week of Daniel that talks about this very specifically and not only predicts when Messiah will come, but also predicts this period of time that will be unlike any other time, worse than the Holocaust, right? That's exactly what the Bible is describing because if you look at some of the numbers that it talks about for how many people will be killed, it is far, far, far worse. But this is the last chance of a loving father saying, I'm giving you one final opportunity, and I'm going to do some things. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to do them. So think of plagues of Egypt, right? I'm, I'm just going to start ratcheting up the pressure until finally you let go and understand that I am God and you are not. So that's one of well, the That's right. God that repeats the same. It's like over and over pattern. again. So to the Jewish mind, pattern is prophecy. So the Bible is so much pattern developed and kind of laid down. The entire book of Joshua essentially is pattern for the end times. Think about this. In Joshua, you know, when they're talking about the, the city of Jericho and the battle there, and they march around the walls and then they scream and the walls fall. All the kids know that from like Bible stories when you're, when you're a young kid. The part of it that we don't talk a whole lot about is this two-witness part. They send in two spies. They don't get any actionable military intelligence because there is no battle plan that includes going in and doing anything. It's just walking around the city. You don't have to have any intel for that, right? The only thing that really happens is that Rahab, a harlot, and her family get saved. She's a Gentile. So two witnesses go in, two witnesses at the Wailing Wall. Gentiles get saved. Gentiles get saved. It's a pattern that God is laying down. Which then does with Christ later. Exactly. So it just lays down this pattern throughout Scripture. So uh, the next thing that makes me believe that, if you look at Revelation 3, it talks about the letters to the seven churches. And it actually starts in chapter 2. But in chapter 3, it comes to the church of Philadelphia. A lot of people will make a big deal about how these churches actually represent kind of church ages, so to speak. Like an apostate church or uh, a missionary church or an evangelical church or... Uh, a lukewarm church, right? So you can look at all of these and kind of study that. That's a really interesting thing to do. The Church of Philadelphia, it actually says, and I'll quote it here in just a little bit, it actually says that if you hold on, I will keep you, I will remove you from the time of trouble. That's very interesting. So it's the a time foreshadowing of, of the pattern. Of a potential, hey, it's possible that there's a rapture. Here's the important part. Hello, I want to say, the important part, I, I hope you, I hope it's pre, and I, 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 know, right? I am praying that it's pre as well. Trust me, if you've read Revelation, I don't want to be around for the last three and a half years of the seven year. I don't want to be around for the first part of it because there's going to be this guy coming on the stage that everybody who's a Christian, if you're still around, you're going to know that's the Antichrist. Things are about to get really bad, and it's not going to be a fun time to be around. Like, and he's going to be healing people and miracles and in the last all, all the high tech. More, yeah, uh, yeah. He, politically, he's going to come to power first, and it's going to be just this sweeping thing. Can you imagine somebody from like Romania or pick, you know, pick some country over in kind of Eastern Europe? Can you imagine somebody coming to power right now in the entire world just bowing down to this person and saying, absolutely, yes, this person. What just, is it the Antichrist, you've studied more than I have, what is, what is he, what's the devil able to do to make people go into this delusion and worship this guy? So it's, it's a time of trouble, right? So that's what we need. Historically, we've seen that with the rise of Hitler. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to stop there. Now, the most important thing I want you to take from this is once again, this is the kind of stuff people are looking for and they're not and they're not going to look to the church for it. So we need to at least know what's going on there. For me, what's jumped out at me more than anything, because a lot of this is the standard kind of eschatology that you, you, you should be somewhat familiar with, and it's probably you've gone to churches that teach this, unless you've rejected and moved to a more ah mill or preterist perspective, which I, I'm not a preterist. I do believe preterism has been a great gift to the church because it forces us, whenever we see prophecy, to ask ourselves, has it already been fulfilled? And you should always do that. You should always look for a fulfillment at some point in history, history for us, future for the people who originally received it, but history for us. We always look back and go, has it been, I look anywhere, and if I can find a fulfillment for it, then I don't look for any more, right? So a lot of prophecy, I think, point to 70 AD, and a lot of times people want to ignore that and just immediately jump to the future. So preterism at least got us to look for that. So I very much respect preterists for that. I reject the totality of their system, but I'm grateful for that. All millennial, uh, well, I reject that just because I think hermeneutically 
hey, the, the prophecies of the first coming were literal, then the prophecies of the second coming have to be literal. And that over and over and over so many times are like, hey, that's spiritual Israel. That's not literal Israel. And land isn't land and Israel isn't Israel. And, and I'm like, ah, I, I can't follow that through hermeneutically. So I have my problems there. But from this, here's what I really want you to do. He's making a claim that the Olivet Discourse, really, in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, that these happen on two different occasions. They're not the same occasions. They're not to the same audience. They have different purposes. And that if we confuse these, then this could lead us to thinking either, one, it's all been fulfilled in 70 A.D., or we could confuse us further on. He didn't articulate or expound on it, but I want to put this forth as a hypothesis. Matthew 24, Luke 21, different occasions, different di- different discourses for different audience and different purposes. Or same discourse, just explained in different ways when we put them together, then we get the full discourse. That's your, that's your task. That's your, I know when you listen to me, you're, you're like, you are always giving me assignments. I am. But Matthew 24, Luke 21. Now, there's someone out there who probably has no problem making a chart. So here's what we want to do. We want to take Matthew 24 and Luke 21, and you need to make a chart. And you need to write down the similarities between Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and the differences. You don't have to interpret them. Just make a chart or you can just do it on notebook paper. Here are the similarities. Here is what's different. Here's, here's the material that's in Matthew 24 that's not in Luke 21. So what is, so what is the same? What is different? And what is missing or added? However, you would like to define that. But what's the same? What's different? And then what's, you know, what's in Matthew that's not in Luke? What is in Luke that's not in Matthew? when it comes to the so-called all of it discourse. Chart it out. And if you do that, email it to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. Will it revolutionize? Will it change your interpretation? I don't know. But hey, if I hear someone put forth an idea, then we should, we should think about it and we should consider it. I would love to finish this. But we're already at 52 minutes, so we will stop right here. I need to write down the time here. I'm going to put Alex. And we will try to finish this sometime soon. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a little bit of fun there. There's some, some interesting stuff. But we're doing this just to show you. I'm trying to warn you as Christians. The world doesn't care about the church anymore. Uh, Even many Christians are done with the church. They're out there looking elsewhere for information. We got to know what information's out there. And then we got to try to get our information to where these people are. We need our information put in every dark corner of the internet in any way we can get it there. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Always appreciate it. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. All right, we'll probably do maybe maybe one more broadcast today. I don't know. I don't know. I've done a lot of hours of broadcasting, so we will see. We'll just kind of let the day go, and we'll, we'll see. But if you have the Church One app, you'll know when I go live. You'll get a notification. That's Church O-N-E, Apple uh, App Store, the Google Play Store, Church O-N-E, run together, Church O-N-E, download it, search for Theology Central, make us your broadcaster of choice. And why would you want to choose us? We produce more content than basically anyone. There you go. All right. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.